All right, today's message. Today's message is entitled, God Uses Messed Up People. <laughs> Amen. Looking at Matthew, the first chapter, and the very first verse. Now, this is the first sign of the New Testament. You read the Bible, all Old Testament, then you get to the New Testament, the first guy you run into, Matthew. And he starts to tell us the story of Jesus and begins with the Christmas account. But before he starts to mention Mary, Joseph, the wise men, the whole deal, he talks about this stuff. Let's read it. Matthew, the first chapter, first verse. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is how he begins. Starts to show us where the Messiah came from. Starting with Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And on and on and on. And if you read it, it keeps going down this long list mentioning some of these, uh, all these people, all the way until he gets to Joseph. They had a complete line. They saw exactly where Joseph came from, fulfilling the prophecy that the Messiah would come through the line of David. Okay? Now, what's interesting is in this list of people, there are some wonderful faith-blazing people in this list. But there are also some really messed up people in this list that I want to talk and point out some of the messed up people this morning. We see it in the very next verse. It says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, these twin boys, whose mother was Tamar. Now, you can read about Tamar on your own in Genesis, the 38th chapter. I would encourage you to actually read it. It's pretty fascinating. But here is the lady. Now, let me explain to you how this worked. Judah had three sons. Son number one, son number two, son number three. Now, son number one marries Tamar. Now, she is probably 14 years old, give or take a year, as was the tradition of the time, as we talked about last Sunday. And uh, they are married, and uh, we, I'm not sure how long it lasts. I don't think it's too terribly long, but uh, he dies. And now she is left without a husband, and she has no sons. Now, in this, this is 4,000 years ago. In this culture, this is really bad news. It's still bad news in parts of the world. And quite frankly, it would have been bad news in this country even 100 years ago. There were no social safety nets even then, and certainly not 4,000 years ago. Uh, there was no such thing as social security. Their version of social security was have as many babies as humanly possible. So those babies would take care of you which is actually what they were supposed to do. Which, by the way, and I don't want to get sidetracked here, but when the Bible says, honor your father and mother, Jesus pointed out what he was talking about was financially taking care of your father and mother. It wasn't written to little children to obey their mommies and daddies, which they should. But when he said, honor thy father, thy mother, in the Ten Commandments, he was talking to adults, and this was the story because of, there was no other way to take care of these people family was supposed to take care of these people. Well, now this lady has no husband. Very bleak, but when you have no husband and no sons, you are in a really bad way. And God commanded rules concerning these rare situations. Now, this is going to sound really creepy to us, because it's just creepy. But this was the rule. If the son dies... And his wife has not had a son. 
it's the responsibility of the next brother in line to impregnate the girl until she gets a son. Creepy. But this was the rule, okay, because this was a big deal. There was no safe social safety net for these people. They needed these boys. Women have many options today. Uh, they did not even not that many years ago here, and certainly 4,000 years ago, there was little to none for them. So this was a big deal. Well, so son number two steps in line, and he doesn't want to do it. It was too creepy for him. And he refused to give her a son. The Bible tells us God really got ticked at him for this. And then he got sick and died. I got two dead guys. Then she's probably, we're just guessing here, 17, 18 by now. The next brother is about 11 years of age or something like that. So they got to wait for him to grow up so he can be the next guy in line. Now, you can imagine how this lady felt. She had to feel awful. Certainly easy to have felt abandoned by God. We've got two dead guys here. Uh, the second one refused to give her a child, and now she's got to wait for this younger guy. And then when he becomes of uh, adult age, 16, 17, 18 years of age, Judah doesn't give her to him. And now she has nothing. And she feels completely alone. Her self-esteem has got to be at zero. She's looking at a devastating life in front of her. And she becomes desperate. And desperate people do desperate things. So what happened is she hatches this plan. Now Judah goes on this journey. And on the way back, she knew the path that he would take. And they went through this little town. So she goes to this little town and she dresses up like a prostitute. Okay. Now back in that day, these prostitutes, they would just sit along the side of the road or someplace like that, and they would have a veil over their face. And this is how you knew they were prostitutes. Um, the culture is very different today. You go to the Middle East today, chaste women have veils over the face, and if you don't, you're a prostitute, you know, um, that kind of thing. But in this culture, this is the way it was, and they were, you know, Unlike prostitutes today, you know, they're out, you know, showing everybody hoochie mama, you know, they're for sale. These ladies were all wrapped up. I don't know how they sold anything, but they did. <laughs> so, yeah. So she's waiting, sitting there, wrapped up by the side of the road. As soon as you see a woman sitting there by herself with a veil over her face, you knew she was available. So Judah's coming along and being the slime bag he was at night, sees the girl and goes, yeah, that sounds like a good plan to me. Now, very creepy. This is her father-in-law. Very creepy. But she's desperate. So he stops, he sees her and says, all right, let's do it. And she says, well, what are you going to pay me? And he says, well, I just live down the road here. When I get to the house, I'll send you a goat. All right. Which was you know, pretty good money in that day. And she says, well, how do I know you're going to send me a goat? And so, well, what do you want? She said, well, give me your medallions and your uh, staff, and I'll hold it. And then when you send me the goat, you can get the stuff back. So she says, okay. So he spends the night with the lady. Apparently never even takes off her veil, because he would have recognized her. He knew who she was. And uh, um, amazingly, from that one romp, she finally gets pregnant. Well, he goes back, and he tells his guys, hey, there's this lady. You got to go give her a goat. Get my stuff back. 
So the servants show up and gets there, and there's no lady. And they ask the guys, you know, where's the prostitute that hangs out here? And the city people go, there's no prostitute that hangs out there. They didn't know what happened to her. So they were kind of confused. They said, well, I guess I'll never get my stuff back. Well, so Tamar's back at home. About three months later, they discover she's pregnant. Well, Judah has a fit. And isn't it difficult that some of the most rotten people are the ones who have the biggest cow when somebody else messes up? <laughs> Called hypocrites, phonies. He's, ah, how dare she do something immoral? <laughs> so he decrees that she's going to be burned alive. Ouch. <laughs> so they bring her to toast her. And she gets her, she says, okay, I'll tell you who the father is. Okay, who is it? And she says, it's the guy that owns this stuff. <laughs> and Judy goes, ah. <laughs> and he's busted. Okay? So um, he admits, I was wrong. And he specifically confesses that he had refused to give the third, her to the third son. <laughs> so she could have a family. And so he lets her, lets her be, and she uh, gives birth to these twin boys. And amazingly, through this really messed up lady who was desperate, and remember, these people had big families. There was lots of options for the Holy Spirit to go through and continue the line of the Messiah. He gets here, and he goes... And he goes through this very messed up lady. Then we read in the fifth chapter, or fifth verse, as they're going through these lists of names, he talks about Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now let's talk about Rahab. Now unlike Tamar, who was pretending to be a prostitute, Rahab really was a prostitute. She was a full-blown full lady of the night. She was a hoe. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. When they said, ho, 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 that wasn't Merry Christmas. That's three prostitutes on the corner. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> and she's a full-blown hoe. Selling herself for money. Not exactly a righteous woman. But let's read the story of Rahab. We read about in Joshua, the second chapter, verse 1. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, not the son of a nun, which would be very creepy again. This was a guy named Nun. <sighs> All right. So Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land. Now, this is the children of Israel. They're finally going in to take over the promised land. So they're going in to take the promised land, and they come up to the first big city, which is Jericho, gigantic walls and stuff. And of course, you know, if you remember the story of the walls, God knocks the walls down, and the walls came a-tumbling down, you know, that whole song. And, uh, and so anyway, he sends these spies in to check everything out so they can come in and take out this city. Well, so uh, it says they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stay there, not to be with her, but uh, this is a lady, you'll see in just a minute, she hears about this God who has, you know, uh, cleared out the sea and they came out of Egypt and God's been with them and she hears the stories about this God and she believes in this God and she trusts in this God and when she finds these guys, she protects them. 
So the king of Jericho, verse 2, finds out that these guys had come and said, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sends the message to Rahab, the lady of the night over there, and says, hey, bring out those guys who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. They knew they went in there. They just figured they were in there, you know, to spend a night of pleasure. Uh, but the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, yeah, the men came to me, but I, I did not know where they'd come from. And at dusk, because the sun's going down, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. And I don't know which way they went. But look, if you hurry up, you can catch up, and, and you might find them. So she's lying. But it's a righteous lie. <laughs> which is a whole other sermon. It's just very complicated. But there's, we'll deal with it some other time. But there's people who lied in the Bible, but yet God blessed their lie because their lie was a good thing, and it's a long story. Okay. So, she lies, and then in verse 6 it says, but what she'd really done is she'd taken these guys up on the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax that she'd laid out on the roof. So, these men run out in pursuit. Story from the Wizard of Oz, you know. So, they're out there, and they're in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan. So, they're running. They're chasing nobody because they're not out there. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. The city's all locked up. Well, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, Look, I know the Lord has given you this land. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She believed in this God. And that's why she was doing this to protect these guys. And she said, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. And they did. And the Bible tells us the walls came a-tumbling down. These guys eventually got out. Walls came a-tumbling down. They come in and they wipe out everybody. But when they came to this lady's house, they all knew who she was. And they protected her. And she beats a woman who had been a prostitute. And here she'd come from the very lowest of the lows in life. And now she was highly esteemed and respected and praised for what she did for the nation as they came. And Salmon saw her, thought she was a pretty lady. Now she's a respectable lady. She, he marries her and she becomes the uh, mother of Boaz who eventually marries Ruth and on goes the line of the Messiah. So here again, lots of options, lots of people, lots of children everybody has. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gets to Rahab and goes, and decides to go that route. And the line of the Messiah comes through a prostitute. <laughs> then we have in verse 6, as the list of names are going down, another name says, and then we're talking about Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of King Solomon, this incredible king, whose mother had been, the, had been Uriah's wife. All right, now as we're going through here, we're getting to some really messed up people. Now, I want you to take a note. Unlike Tamar, who they regarded really as righteous because she had really gotten the short end of the stick. Unlike uh, Rahab, though she had been a prostitute and completely messed up, did the right thing and was greatly esteemed by the people. When they get to this lady, nobody likes this lady. Nobody. 
including Matthew. And you will note that it is the only person in this entire list of names who is not mentioned by name. When it gets to this lady, he won't even say her name. That's how lowly they esteemed this lady. Her name was Bathsheba. Now, the story of David and Bathsheba, we won't read, but let me summarize to you. David is off with his armies doing battle and stuff like that. Well, this one time he's sitting back at the castle while his guys are uh, taking siege of some city. And the Bible says he's walking along his roof one night and he looks down and sees this drop dead gorgeous woman taking a bath. And he starts to lust after her, arranges to have a meeting with her, seduces her, starts having an affair with her. And not too long down the road, she comes in and announces to him, uh, David, I'm pregnant. Well, David freaks. They both freak because they don't want anybody to know about this situation. So they start to conspire together. Well, David comes up with this plan and says, listen, let's, uh, let's get Uriah to come back from the front lines and take a couple of days of R&R. And then when he comes, you know, he'll spend some time with you. And when he goes back to the front line and they discover you're pregnant, they'll just think, you know, it's his child. So they set out this conspiracy. David contacts the leader and said, hey, send Uriah back for some R&R. Uriah shows up. He doesn't know why he's there. But instead of going into his home and enjoying the comforts of his home and his wife, the Bible says he refused to go into his home and instead slept on the doorstep of his house. Even though they persuaded him, tried to persuade him to go in, he was such a righteous guy. He says, no, I would never spend a night in comfort while my brothers are engaged in battle. And rather, this is what a great guy this guy was. It's what a rat his wife was in David. He refused to go in. So he goes back to the front lines. Now David's freaking out. Nothing's working. And so then he conspires to have the guy killed. And when he's killed, then he quickly marries Bathsheba. Takes him as his wife. All in a desperate attempt to cover and to hide their sin. There is nothing righteous about this. There is nothing good about this one. This one's bad. This one is born in lust, adultery, lying, and murder. And amazingly, the line of the Messiah. And think of this. David has five wives. It could have come through any of them. But it's like the Spirit of God stops and goes and goes through this lady. Now you have to stop and think. If you and I are in a committee in heaven and we're deciding on who is going to be the line of the Messiah, I'm pretty sure all of us, including me, would have skipped these people. Tamar, oh, she's kind of messed up. Let's use somebody else. Rahab, you know, oh, you know what she used to be. One of those, you know, we'd have picked somebody else. And Bathsheba, ah, she's really bad. Nobody wants to say her name. Let's avoid her, but yet... The Spirit of God takes this incredible turn. Think of this. She becomes the mother of Solomon. Other than David himself, the greatest king in Israel's history. This is, this is the guy. He's the wisest man on the face of the earth. The Bible says no one before him was ever as wise as he was. And that no human being after him, including all of us, would ever be as wise as this one man. He was brilliant. 
They had, you talk about a run on the stock market. I mean, this guy's entire life, nothing but unparalleled prosperity. I mean, everybody was doing good. They built this big Solomon's temple. Everybody got money in his day and peace. As best as we can tell, the Bible records there were no wars during his lifetime. You know how unheard of that was? These guys would go to war every spring on a regular basis. They were always at war with somebody. We're not even dead yet. How many wars have we seen in our own country? This guy's entire life, not a single... Can you imagine having a political leader who always knew the perfect thing to do? Now, you really got to imagine that. Because <laughs> you know, that, that's a big stretch, you know, trying to... As opposed to the clueless people we have today, this guy knew everything. <laughs> Who becomes the mother of this incredible king and goes on to be the great, 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 great grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ? If it's you and me, we'd have picked one of the other girls. But God chooses Bathsheba. Think about it, she has no business being there. You could make the argument, had it not been for lust, lying, adultery, and murder, Solomon would have never been born. You could make the argument, had it not been for lust, lying, adultery, and murder, according to Matthew's account, Jesus would have never been born. Oh, praise the Lord, that all happened. No, it was never supposed to happen. So that doesn't make any sense. Well, that's kind of the point of today's message. You see, God's love and God's forgiveness and God's grace is so big. He can take your biggest failure, the biggest disaster of your life, the most horrible mistakes you've ever made in your life and turn it into something so beautiful, it won't make sense to anybody. That is the power of God's grace. So we got three people, three pretty messed up people, Tamar, Rahab, and the unspoken Bathsheba. <coughs> big mistakes, big failures, but yet the line of the Messiah came through them. You see, the opening salvo of the Christmas story is God can use some really messed up people. You might be here this morning in our services. You might be one of our campuses. You might be watching by television this morning. Maybe one of the reasons you're watching in television this morning is you think you're not good enough to be in a church. You say, people, if they knew who I was, wouldn't want me around. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've done a lot of stupid things. Hey, if you're here this morning and you're a complete mess, welcome to the family. <laughs> Some of you might be thinking, I could never be a Christian. I could never fit in. Sure you can. Some of you might be sitting here this morning. You're still half tied over from the party last night. <laughs> that pastor's fabulous. I love this guy. He's great. I think he's wonderful. Maybe your head's throbbing this morning. Welcome to the family. You see, it's not about being perfect. The truth is, if you knew how messed up the person was sitting next to you, you'd move a few chairs over. 
we, we got some real stories sitting out there. I know some of y'all. There's some bad stuff out there. But yet you're here. You're worshiping God. God is doing a miracle in your heart, in your life. That is the wondrous, glorious message of Christianity. God's grace. His forgiveness. Isn't it amazing that the Christmas story starts by pointing us through a path of some really messed up people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so much. Thank you, God, that you can take our mistakes, our failures, some of the awful things we've done, and you forgive us. You give us new hope. It's never too late. God, there's always, always hope with you. There's no transgression that we've committed that's too much for the blood of Jesus to cleanse. Lord, fill people's hearts with hope this morning. Help us to realize how incredible your patience and your grace is. You are very holy. You've got some very high standards. We've all fallen short of those standards. But your grace is so big, your love so powerful, as we've seen in this opening words of the Christmas story that you, God, can use some really messed up people. In Jesus' name, amen.